Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Um, so you guys ready? So we're recording on everything here. So you ready to go, Andy? I think so. All right. So episode 55, Stomp. Welcome. 55, staying alive. This is going to be a disaster, I can tell you right this now. This is shaping up to be a very interesting episode. Yep, it is. We put this together, like, over the last, like, what, four hours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, I have to just give a public thank you just because I haven't done anything with the, with the script or, or planning for this. So, like I said, it should be a, a disaster. Although Andy, we've had you, we've had you on, on the plans to come back and, and, and update us on the hiking pole stuff. So, welcome, welcome back. Yeah, nice to be back. Looking forward to it. Um, uh, again, it's nothing better than. Uh, fake research and that's kind of what this is just a great little a great little pilot study to, to see stuff and i think it's going to be fun yeah absolutely after i figured out all my confusion today stop but I, I worked my way around it yeah 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 i was so disappointed we'll get into the data but when you sent that over I'm like how could that be that's like that goes yeah. against everything i've ever studied <laughs> yeah it makes no sense but it turned out good that's that's amazing so anyway mike are you have you been abducted or something are you uh, can are you going to take a screenshot of this? I think I I'm going to right now because this is just classic. So, so I'm in I'm in Florida right now. So I have um, I'm inside a, a like a not even a walk-in closet, like a large closet in my father-in-law's condo in Vero Beach, Florida. <laughs> and I'm like covered in like only in Florida can you it's like I'm covered in that like film of sweat mixed with sunblock and i've been out walking around fort lauderdale all day it's like i'm feeling great you look like a total creeper like you do i, I was going to mention the uh the sweat you're like sweaty guy sitting in a closet oh yeah it's just not good so. but i'm on the it's a family vacation to florida so but i did want to i didn't want to like skip a week so um so here we are it's fantastic. If I hope, hopefully, you have like uh, some circulation in there, some air movement. There's not. There's nothing. It's, it's getting just... warmer by the minute. <laughs> but I'm, I'm already like just covered in sweat. But um, I've had family oh, together this time, which has been like the kids are just like every once in a while they'll bring up the podcast. So my oldest daughter gave feedback on the Instagram, and I was like, oh, "Listen, I don't have anything to do with the Instagram. That's Stomp's world." So <laughs> she. She, so her feedback was that um, the Instagram page needs to be more mountain pictures and less coffee photos. She's like, it needs to be more aesthetic. Hmm. So I was like, I'll tell Stomp on the show. I'll, I'll give a show. So well, what, Caroline, what kind she, of she wants more mountain photos? Like, I don't know, like the Mount Everest stuff I post, things like that, maybe or no? She just wants more pictures of the White Mountains instead of like coffee photos. Okay, yeah. As long as there's like some story behind it or. I mean, that, I just think that there's so many mountain photos on all the social media groups that are out there. It's like, I don't know, might be re- redundant. P- 
pay Corey to send you a bunch of his best shots so that you can, <laughs> can post them. I do try to like uh, you know forward stories from other people that if there's like a really brilliant picture that somebody took, I'll definitely post it on the story. Um, but yeah, yeah, I will be more mindful of that. Okay. Well, anyway, that's the uh, that's the feedback. So we'll we'll try to mix it up. Yeah. Um, just looking at the show notes here, and again, Stomp, you put this all together, so thank you. So Andy's back. You're we welcome. can talk about the hiking pole survey. Uh, anything else to add on that? Oh, the, oh, we're going to do that in a separate separate segment, but uh, just a refresher. Andy was um, uh, a guest several episodes ago, and the, the big controversy between use of hiking poles or not to use hiking poles, we're going to sort of dive into that and see what our little... Uh, just for fun survey dug up for data so stay tuned okay um next thing here big snowstorm hitting the so i'm going to be back on we're recording this on a monday night i think this show will go out on friday i'll be back friday night so i was going to go hiking on saturday or sunday when is there's a snowstorm coming in when is that hit yeah it's, well we're getting five inches tonight this is thornton right here at welch dickey andy i think you're a little more south right uh, I am. I think we're supposed to get a little bit, but not much. But yeah. my wife and I were up on uh, Cannon yesterday, Easter, and oh, uh, there was beautiful. eight inches of fresh powder on the top yesterday. Amazing. Eight Ten. inches. Did you have to wear snowshoes, or were you just? Did you just like? We, uh, we every year, every year, when the ski area closed, we do an annual event where we hike up. We try to pound up as fast as we can the ski slope, and we bring sleds, and then we sled down the ski area. Oh, isn't oh, that really? so much fun? So we had a blast, but we didn't, you could, you could stomp through it. It was, I mean, as hard as it is to believe it was light and fluffy. It was some slush deep, but, uh, it was beautiful. Yeah. Today, um, Loon was open still. So this was their last weekend open, but today was the employee appreciation day. So the North peak was closed, but they were skiing halfway up. Like the gondola was open, I believe. And then I guess they probably had some celebration inside or whatever, but still a surprising amount of snow in that mountain. It's going. Yeah, I, I think they're supposed to get another up high. I think they're supposed to get at least eight. That's what I had heard. Oh, um, so overnight. awesome. I keep thinking about doing the uh, Madison Adams hike that I've been talking about for the last oh. three months, and I, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll stay south. Well, why wouldn't weekend. you, though? I don't know. I don't know. I just... It'll depend on the weather. I'm going to probably go out on Sunday, and if Sunday the weather's nice, I'll probably just go... And I'll just commit to going to Adams, and then depending on how I feel and if the weather's good, maybe I'll go over to Madison. But yeah, otherwise, if if there's not going to be any views, I'm not going. I'll I'll go somewhere True. else. True. Yeah, we'll get to that later. We canceled a couple trips, my wife and I, just because there was just like no visibility. It's been so gray out. Yeah, uh, yeah everything's been socked in. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah. next next thing here on the list is you've got some something about world class DJ. So as everybody, oh yeah. Well, maybe people don't remember, but the Stomp is a, uh, a DJ. Is he's like a he's like a jack of you have so many jobs, Stomp. I can't keep track of everything. But, yeah, I get bored easy. Yeah. So I've been you know people know I produce and just have have dabbled in music forever. But um, if anybody's interested. Two DJs are coming next month, uh, James Hype, which is more house music, and then ATB, who's probably the number one German DJ. He's coming to a, a waterfront um, uh, club, apparently. I, I don't even remember the name, but it's on the waterfront, so keep a lookout. 
James Hype and ATB. So it's going to be very cool. We're super psyched. My wife and I are going. Concerts are back, which is great. Yeah. 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 And they're accessible, all the mandates and all the other nonsense and masks. And they're not bothering that at the moment. So that makes it a lot easier. Um, so, yeah. All right. Uh, so another note here, Eric Todd feedback. Uh, if you're asking me, I thought that Eric was great. I uh, got a lot of good good feedback from different people that had given shout out said they really enjoyed the episode so thanks eric and um i can't believe how positive that guy is like it's it's i need to change my outlook yeah yeah absolutely super positive and just loving every minute of it and um i think it was really a great episode and the feedback that i received was really positive too so thanks for coming in eric do you think that you could you like I, I don't know if I could be that nice for that long <laughs> well, you know I, that's one question I wanted to ask him what yeah, does, like, does he get ever you get upset? mad like, or yeah, yeah or mad what what yeah. gets you bummed out man what is it it's gonna like, like the grocery store maybe <laughs> Well, maybe not I mean is it, if there's candy in there he's probably gonna go right for the candy aisle and be happy but yeah, yeah who knows yeah laundry I don't know yeah something <laughs> Yeah, there has to be something. Although I don't know, this uh, I don't know. I have I'm in the family vacation mode right now, so there's a little bit too much family togetherness. But I've been like snapping at the kids, so maybe that's the that's the trick is you have to have multiple kids to not be nice. <laughs> oh God! What? Oh, family vacation. I haven't gone on a family vacation for quite some time. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's joyful. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk. I think we're going to do a little segment on Florida, but, um, the next one here is, uh, so I guess we're not doing this in the, um, search and rescue news, but, uh, AT hiker was found dead. I think we covered this a while ago, but yeah. they identified the guy. Yeah. Apparently they, this is the fellow. They just found, um, the body of this individual on the trail in Georgia. And apparently, um, they discovered that he's a 41-year-old Pennsylvania... Re- re- oh, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. Pennsylvania resident Stephen Lucas Ryan. So they had the uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation down there trying to dig up some information on the man. And um, they found him on January 21st, 2022 off the Benton-McKay Trail on Springer Mountain, which is part of the AT, as we know. And, um, you know, he had some stuff with him, some gear, some, some light gear and, um, you know, skull cap and a small black folding shovel and a few other little things. But uh, they finally identified the guy. It really doesn't go into what happened to him, though, in this report, but they have at least identified him. So for all you through hikers. Yeah, that's pretty quick to identify somebody because I think when we talked about this originally, I think the way that they found that other the other guy, I forget his like his his name, but the other AT hiker that they found in Florida, they use, I think that they used that um, DNA technology where they'll get like your DNA, they put it into the database to get like a fourth or third level connection, and then they'll use genealogy to sort of circle. They'll work their way up the the chart on the genealogy to identify potential matches. My guess is that in this case, because it's been relatively quick, that somebody must have, they must have got a hit on the missing persons or a family member 
reached out or a friend or something like that would be my guess. Mm. Yeah, possible. Well, we'll keep uh, people updated if anything comes. Yeah, it is crazy. Did you hear, uh, this probably isn't in your um, you know, list, but there was another case out in, I think, Utah or California or something like this. A kid, he went missing when he was 16, and they found him in Utah. He was like a homeless guy. Yeah, for like five years, to, right? Yeah, he was missing for like three or four years, and they, they were able to f- figure out who he was and reconnect him with his family, so that yeah. stuff does happen. Yeah, that's an interesting one, too. I wonder how severe the autism was, if that was, uh, you know, part of why he disappeared or what happened. Really interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but anyway. All right, so uh, we really want to do this topic, Stomp? I think so. This next one? I think so. What do you think? All right, well, why don't you, why don't you start, and I'll add... <laughs> well, there's been some talk about the uh, the slasher, what I would call the cat site, and whether or not we should euthanize it, no pun intended. So, um, you know, whether we, we ditch it or if we rename it, I don't know, maybe have some listeners give some feedback. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a positive for the podcast anymore. Um, it, it seems to have become its own separate beast. So, I don't know. What do you think? Well, you'd be so. Andy Stomp is being Eric Eric Nice here. So I think <laughs> the and Andy, I don't know. Are you a social media guy, Andy? Do you do you get uh, on Facebook I, or anything? I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy, but I am social media because with teaching in college, I'm, I'm around a lot of young kids. So uh, I think I have uh, I have realized that the i didn't if you would pull, pull up your facebook page i don't know if you wouldn't even know if it was slash or you would assume it was a great cat site and maybe they talk about hiking every once in a while yeah right. yeah so there's a whole there's a whole history i mean and, and quite honestly like it's and it, you know i'll own my history like when i started the sounds like a search and rescue page was was started sort of as a joke to you know and i'll just be honest like it was started as a joke to sort of poke fun at people asking questions on social media and i think back at the time i sort of looked at it and i said like okay some of these are stupid questions let's make fun of people but i've definitely evolved over time and i think that you know getting to know stomp and talking to you know different people i've sort of evolved my thinking around the fact that like you know look people just are inexperienced and you know, everybody is on a learning continuum and we should be working to make sure that we, we help people. That's why like somebody like Eric is so positive and it's like so impressive to me because, you know, we, we started this Facebook group before we did the podcast. And I think that there was a bunch of people in there that were in there for, and there was some educational stuff. Like I I legitimately like kept the data on the media um, search and rescue events. And we did, you know, we had a lot of good conversations and good people, but I think there was always an element of people that were sort of there for, um, you know, not always the most positive reasons. And some of those people are my friends, and it's a difficult thing to deal with. But I think social media over time and myself, I've also evolved, and I just don't want to deal with nonsense and bullshit anymore. And, you know, that particular, it's a it's a Facebook group. It's not associated with the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast page. But my thought is that, like, that group... I'm probably going to just peel it off, maybe rename it, give it to somebody else to deal with. And then all of the stuff that we used to do that was more on the positive side, we'll just push to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast page versus that group. 
Um, and it's a tricky thing because, you know, I got some friends on there and, you know, I've definitely gotten some feedback from people that they don't like the direction that the podcast goes, that it's like too mainstream, too positive, And it's just like too bad. You know, this is the direction we're going in. And, right. you know, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Well, people are. You, you should know that I've, remo- I've removed the Facebook link off of the website already. So I'm making yeah. moves already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. people. So, yeah, I'll take the heat. Yeah, and Andy, I mean, you must have an interesting perspective being a college professor. Like you, I would assume as a professor over the last probably, how long have you been a professor for? Oh, 20, 25, 24 years. All right, so you have an amazing pers- pers- perspective, you know, and, and I think I've, I think in the probably the early 2010s, they say that sort of the student perspective on things has changed quite a bit. And I think the the tolerance for what you could say in a classroom environment without fear of any sort of blowback 15 years ago is significantly different than it is today. I I would assume, right? Yeah. I mean, it goes, it goes both ways, right? I mean, there are, there is words stated in the classroom by professors and students that 15 to 20 years ago would have been uh, traumatic and uh, problematic. Uh, and then there is also a, uh, a, an increase in intolerance to behavior that X years ago was totally fine and, and now isn't. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting dichotomy, huh? Exactly. And I think that's the, that's the challenge is that I've always been a you know, very much sort of like Elon Musk is talking about Twitter and evolving it into sort of this free, mm-hmm. free speech Advert, you know, of a, a free speech platform much more than it is now, and I've always been sort of of that mind. But the more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm coming around to the idea that just social media in general, like the dynamic, like I don't think a lot of there's some some good that comes of it, but I think that at the end of the day, the extreme ends of social media tend to to win out on it and i think that that's the that's the issue with this particular group is that um you know i don't have the time to monitor it and and i don't want to be in a position where i'm removing and blocking people and you know i just think it's probably better to just sort of peel it off and have it be its own thing not associated with the podcast and and go from there Absolutely. And I go back to like a new listener. If somebody logs onto our website and clicks on that link and it goes to this absurd freaking cat page, like it's just too confusing. It's like there's yeah. two separate entities at this point. Yeah, exactly. And for <laughs> listeners who don't know what Stomp's talking about, basically the, this page was originally like it was a group that was originally talking about search and rescue. And, you know, there was a mix of good and bad stuff in there. And it's evolved over the last probably nine months and it's like everybody on there just post cat memes and pictures which is funny and fun but it's it's just sort of like moved on so anyway yeah. when you so i guess i'll just bite the bullet like by friday and i'll make the update and there's, there's a dead cat on the end of that line yeah exactly <laughs> nothing nothing in life stays the same right yeah right. exactly exactly uh, so all right anything else stomp yeah we're good man let's move on got the tough one out of the way yeah exactly so sponsors and coffee talk yeah hey we have a bunch of donations chris donated five and um let's see 
Gwen Stratton, one of um, Steve Mason and Eric Todd Sweet's crew members, donated five. Thank you, Gwen. That was really cool. She uh, sounds like the brains behind the operation, by the way, because I notice like whenever Steve and Eric are on, they're always like, you know, they talk about these epic hikes, but it sounds to me like she's the brains of the operation doing the research and the one that's figuring out the like, here's where it's we're going. possible because if you read her posts, I mean, she, she nails it like step by step by step by step. This was the plan. And this is yeah. what, you know, went Ari or whatever, you know. So, yeah, she may very well be. I met her on trail with uh, with Steve and Eric. Uh, I definitely, I get the vibe. She's running the show. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get. We know the deal. We'll, we'll get you in sometime soon to explain yeah. yourself. Uh, and Seth Casson, this just came in like an hour ago. Thank you, Seth, very much for the kind words, and thanks for listening. He donated three coffees, so that's very cool. Um, and of course, we want to say thank you to our sponsor at Reckless Brewing, where you'll. Enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch. Many 4,000 footers in less than 10 minutes from the five corners. And Andy, you, you, you're you associated with Reckless. What's going on at Reckless? Why don't you give a little plug? Uh, I'd love to give a plug. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My wife and I are two of the founders, and uh, it's a uh, lot of stuff going on. If you've been in the area, there's a building out back that was a balanced yoga studio building owned by a national yoga nonprofit, which is a, another story for another day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, reckless bought that here a little while ago and <clears throat> I'll just go and according the plan, it's going to open as a tasting room. Uh, hopefully, uh, sometime around Memorial day weekend. Oh, wow. So if you expansion, you've, you've been there stomp, correct? Yes. Yeah. A couple times. Yep. So if you go in, it's if you want to just come in and have a beer, it can be challenging, right? Because you're taking up a table where someone wants to eat. Yeah. So the idea of the, of the tasting room is if you want to just come in and have a beer or two and hang out and then hit the road, uh, gotcha. you can. So that's going to be a little live music venue out back if all goes well and there's a bunch of other stuff. So things are going pretty well. Excellent. That's wicked cool. Well, that's good. Best place around. Andy, I'm curious um – is there any plans? And I know Steve explained this to me previously around the fact that like it's it's a different license to sell outside of the state of New Hampshire. Do you guys right. are you there any plans to expand outside of New Hampshire, or is it just you have to be? Yeah, in I think there's there's plans. Uh, the, the, the the rules are that you can self distribute in New Hampshire. So we have Jules, who is our head of distribution, and she drives the beer all over the state. Um, for us to distribute outside, would have to have a um, uh, distributor agreement um, and as soon as you distribute outside we don't have the capacity necessarily in the brewery to brew enough beer to also distribute outside the state right now so that that's probably the bigger issue is um, to be able to distribute outside of New Hampshire would have to brew a lot more beer than we're potentially brewing right now I think interesting but all the way down in Salem all the way down in Salem New Hampshire you can get it yeah, yeah, that's close. That's close to me. But I'm just always curious because uh, there's a couple of local places I go close to me in Amesbury, and they seem pretty cool. So it would be one of those things where you could tell them, like, "Hey, you know, Reckless is is now able to uh, to ship to Massachusetts, pick some up." They're they're pretty cool about that stuff. So I'm always curious. But it's 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 a weird thing. So you need to partner with somebody that has a license to sell in Massachusetts. It's really it's really complicated, but yeah. to get to get it out of New Hampshire, you'd have to have a distribution agreement. So it's either with a distributor, with another brewery, with with something that allows that to happen. That's my understanding, at least. Got it. Um, and I'm thankfully wildly and distantly removed from all of that. So, 
It's interesting, though, that you would figure like, it okay, you, you make it and you could sell it anywhere, but that's just not the case. But I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Salem, no problem. Perfect. You guys should know I just posted a picture of Mike in his sweaty closet up on Instagram. So you can <laughs> tell your daughter that instead of a mountain, I put you in the closet up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it is nice to be in like 80, 85 degree weather and like just <laughs> in a dripping in sweat. But I don't know how they like, they probably look at us and they're like, how do they survive like winter? And like they, you know, it's like months and months of like freezing weather but i don't know how they survive in the summer here oh my god it's the dryness up here it's beautiful i cannot take the humidity down south it's brutal it's the it's my one it's my achilles heel of uh, new england is the humidity in those two weeks in august sure yeah well you know what's weird too is that i'm used to like I'll go out and run and I'll get sweaty and gross and then it's immediately I got to take a shower and get cleaned up and then I'm not sweaty and gross but I feel like in Florida like you just have to accept being sweaty and gross for cuz you'd be showering like 3 4 times a day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um so welcome to episode 55 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we are joined by Renaissance man Andy Cannon of Reckless Brewing and Physical Therapy Expertise. So, see, he's got multiple jobs just like you do, Stomp. Right. (laughs) So, so Andy is going to give us a recap of a hiking pole survey that we were able to conduct with participation from the audience. And then later in the show, we will talk a little bit about hiking in Florida, and then we're going to wrap up with some recent search and rescue news. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All right. So what are we drinking tonight, gentlemen? Andy, why don't you start? Well, I think you guys would figure out what I'd be drinking. Um, I have a, uh, <laughs> I have a reckless IPA called Wicked. It's one of our flagship IPAs, um, W-I-K-I-D. Uh-huh. Uh, it's... Uh, it's tasty, little malty in the front, little hoppy on the end, and uh, one of my favorites. I had a couple of pints of it this weekend on draft, and it's one of my go-tos. Nice. What's uh, what's Ian's IPA that he made? Do you remember the name the of that? It's like a triple or a double IPA or something like that. Oh, the one that the one that just came out. Why well, I, I don't know. I was there maybe two months ago, and it was absolutely delicious. I don't typically like an IPA, but this was really good. You know what? I think I would have to look. The the one that just came out is uh, is a triple, which is eleven percent. Right up, right up my alley. Called Dutch Courage. Yes. Called, uh, Dutch Courage. <laughs> one and done. And uh, it, it is yeah, one and done. And it's it, but it's but it's, it's tasty. Huh. Um, so I have to think. I'll, I'll think about it. Which one it was that he that he brewed a couple of months ago? But uh, there are you know I'm. I'm not a big hot bite guy. I don't like the hot bite, so yeah. most of the IPAs there don't have it, so it's tasty. Hmm. Excellent. And you, Mike, in your sweaty closet, should we take yeah. your temperature quick, make sure you're not overheating here? Well, <laughs> my fan on my computer is going off right now, so it's not super hot, but it's, it's a little toasty. But I'm drinking something called, um, it's from Coronado Brewing Company, which is down here in Florida, I believe, and it's called Weekend Vibes. So it is a... Um, IPA, not bad. Nice. It's a little, a little bitter aftertaste, but it's not not too bad. So I'm gonna go tomorrow. We're driving up to a place called the Villages, and I'm gonna try to stop somewhere um, along the way to get another four pack so I can survive the the two days with my parents and have a few beers. 
So. Oh boy, that's funny. Well, I am drinking a uh, a gift from one of my wife's uh, uh, postal patrons, and it's a French Burgundy named Poulefoui. Right? Isn't that cool? So it's just yeah. this lovely Chardonnay. It's like fresh honey, white flower aroma with elegant, rich flavors. What can I say, guys? Li- living the fancy life over here in Thornton. All right. Andy, you, you are no longer the Renaissance man. Stomp just took it over with that with that beverage. The baton has been passed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So recent hikes. Uh, Stomp, where you been? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, my wife and I have been trying to get out to timber camp several days in a row now. But like I said, it's been socked in. It's been snowing. So we're trying to save it for a day where you can really get a good view into uh, Greeley Notch. And you know what they also call that place is Mad River Notch because that's the origin of the Mad River, which is amazing. So we've been trying to get up there, but to no avail. So we've just been hitting Smartsbrook and doing the loop and doing the little spurs off of there, like Love Connection and the ledges up by Acteon. Just more or less like fitness hikes just to get out. But I hope to get out on the higher peaks sometime soon. Awesome. And then, Andy, you talked about Cannon. You've done, have you done anything else recently? Uh, no. My, my wife and I went up Cannon on uh, Easter, sorry, on Sunday. And I went up and sled down. Saturday, we went for a run. We ran uh, Jefferson Notch Road up to Caps of the Ridge and then ran back down and uh that was nice didn't, didn't, didn't see a soul so it was it was an, it was a fun fun little run yeah that's nice that it's very gradual till you hit that bridge where there's that hairpin yeah. try doing that on yeah, a snowmobile <laughs> well you know I, I can tell you i i was wondering if that was your tequila plastic bottle the, the handle that got left on the side of the road because you saw a lot of you saw a lot a lot of leftover alcohol but i bet i bet it's a very very busy route in the winter that's like a primary corridor. Yeah, it was so it was so quiet and peaceful around. It was really nice. Yeah. Is there any snow or ice on the road, or is it all? Uh, we needed spikes the top, probably the last mile. But other than that, you could there was dirt. You could weave your way around it. But the last mile or so, we needed it on the way up. You know, Stomp. You've always we've always like talked about this, but we've never really got around to it. But one of these days, we have to tell the. St- we have to cover that news story about the guy that drove his family up Jefferson Notch. Oh, Do you guys, oh, yeah. you guys remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. A couple, three years ago, maybe? Yeah. Well, it's really yeah. funny. That happened this year while guiding on snowmobile. It happened two or three times. One, one time in particular, it was Mount Clinton Road. This family made it down from the base camp road of the Cog probably two to three miles in before they got stuck. I mean, wow. it's just crazy. Yeah, it happens quite a bit. I always thought Mount Clinton was gated, but I we, there wasn't a gate there when we were there the other day. Yeah, it's only gated from the um, the high point of Crawford Notch, but not from base camp because snowmobiles go in there during the winter. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. The signs weren't enough, apparently. <laughs> I just wonder, like, the, the people, the engineers that build that mapping software how they would build in it's like an interesting problem like the you know these seasonal roads like how do, how do they know how to, how to program those seasonal roads correctly because they have no idea when those gates actually close so are you referring to like the gps 
apps you can get for snowmobiles and stuff yeah yeah because i think that's what happened is that the the guy put in his gps and for somehow yeah i got you so this is this is a story that happened three years ago the guy that he was in a minivan and he drove up jefferson notch when it was like winter and got his family stuck like how do they how do the people that do like google maps know to route people away from those seasonal roads like that apparently they don't no Especially no. since technically the gates open, yeah. right? Yeah. But for snowmobiles. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? So anyone listen, listening, like use your... And I hear about these stories out west too, like just use your common sense if you feel like you're going down a really deserted road in the middle of the night and you're not familiar with where you're going, like find something that's <laughs> paved. Turn around and find something that's paved that you're comfortable with. Yeah, it reminds me of a story my my daughter came up to visit a couple summers ago, and the GPS, instead of taking them 93 south to exit 28 to go 49 to where we live, it took them up over Tripoli Road, and after, you know, five miles, they're starting to get creeped out, and you know, you know how rough it can get on that road, mm-hmm. but uh, the GPS took them that way, which is sort of ridiculous. That's a terrible way to go, but who knows? I guess it's shorter mileage-wise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But all right, so Andy and, and Stomp, you guys have gotten out a little bit. I'm getting out this weekend because uh, I've been stuck here in Florida, so I will be itching to get into the mountains. So I'll have a story next episode. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. Andy, you came on and you and I had a nice discussion for quite a bit about PT and injury prevention and we came around to the topic of hiking poles and you know for our listeners it's always a really funny topic because you know it's a very passionate topic you know some people really swear by them and some people don't and you and I sort of had an angle as being you know as therapists and our education as to what we've been told about balance systems and how you know uh, adaptive devices can actually impede your body's natural ability to do things so I guess that was the start of this survey. We just wanted to find out if there was any um, data that we could, could glean. And um, Andy was kind enough to put together a brief survey, which we posted on the impossible to find slasher show notes. <laughs> right? Am I right about that? Yeah. And, I th- yeah. and we also posted the videos of the two balance tests on Instagram and also provided those in the show notes as well. And I, if I remember correctly, Andy, why don't you tell us about um, how you went about putting together the survey and, the, and how you chose the balance tests for our listeners? Yeah, I, it was really just a simple matter of, of putting out a Google Forms. And again, I, we, we do it all the time for, for surveys. So I used the Google Forms to create a survey, and we just talked about what we thought was important. We asked how much people hiked, uh, you know, um, I think it was zero to 10 times a month, no, a year, zero to 10 times a year, 10 to 25, 25 to 50, or more than 50. We want to know how old they were. Um, and we wanted to know if they use poles. I mean, very, very straightforward. Yeah. And we want to know if they never use poles, if they use poles 75% of the time, but not all the time, 50 to 75, 25 to 50, uh-huh. uh, or never use poles. Yeah. Uh, and so we just got all that. And I think, I don't know if I mentioned age, we want their age. We want to put that all together. And 
then Stomp and I went back and forth a little bit about how to assess balance, and there's lots of ways to assess balance. And um, yeah, what we kind of settled on was this uh, single leg balance test, where you stand on one leg with your eyes open for a maximum of 30 seconds. And there's rules about you can't flap your arms around, you can't hop around, and, and then the same thing with eyes closed. Um, yeah, and you know, people always question about the eyes closed piece, and meaning. I'd never hike with my eyes closed. You know, why, why do I need to know what my balance is with my eyes closed? Well, a lot of times you're looking at other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not necessarily looking with where your balance is, what the horizon is. You're looking here, you're looking there. Can I take a picture? Can I not take a picture? Or sometimes you're looking down too much. So eyes closed is, was a big part of it. Yeah. And uh, uh, so that's the, the measurements we came up with. Yeah, and I think we had considered doing the what they call the modified cats which uses the foam pads um but then it became impractical because most of the listeners probably don't have a a foam pad to work with so it was actually tricky finding um a test that was what we call sensitive because a lot of the listeners are in younger age demographics so if you give them a a typical balance test they're going to smoke it you know so yeah. Out of all the tests, the single leg stance um, was probably the most sensitive to what we wanted to try to find to see if there was a difference in people's balance, whether they use poles or not. So uh, it was a good call, Andy. And and b- before we move on to the data, can you tell us about research that you've done? Now, you do have a background in uh, research, correct? Yeah, we, we do. I do a fair amount of work with undergraduates. So um, what I principally do is my research is based around trying to predict overuse injury uh, in uh, mostly mostly runners. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we have a couple initiatives going on right now looking at clinical measurements of ankle motion, how to measure hip rotation. You know, one of the, one of the respondents talked about using poles because he's had some issues with his hip rotation. And so one of the things I'm looking at is, can we measure everything that in stomp you'll, you'll get this every way we always measure hip rotation is with the leg in the air. Um, not with the leg on the ground, but we always use our legs on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to come up with a way to measure hip rotation in weight bearing. And so one of my undergraduates, a young woman named drew who's heading off to OT school, uh, in the fall yeah. came up with a way to measure it. And so, uh, that's, we, I look at a lot of ways to measure simple things that make, them make more sense functionally than maybe some of the other measures we use. Gotcha. Now, this was just for fun, but could you tell us what would separate, say, what we did with this, you know, sort of playful survey versus what a real what goes into a real study? You know. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's really kind of sample size, right? It's. I mean, we. This wasn't. This wasn't random, right? We. True. We went out and asked people who. Had an had an in, who had an interest in their opinion on hiking poles to respond. So by definition, it's, it's biased in that respect. Sure. Um, and we'd also have to do a study ahead of time to look at power to see how many subjects we would need based on what we're measuring to how much power the study would have. Um, and we didn't do that either. That's a limitation uh, here based upon the small sample yes. size. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, but what I do a lot with my undergraduates is I, I kicked out all of the curb. And, and I say, listen, find something you're curious about. Take a look at it. Let's not worry about if it means anything or not. Let's go through the process of learning how to collect data, how to come up with a method to analyze data, 
And will it be valid? Of course not. Yeah. It won't be valid. But that's okay. You'll, you'll learn something in the process. And then hopefully from there, maybe they go on and meet real researchers who can really kind of give them the education to, to even get deeper into the content. And that's, that's the idea. Gotcha. Now, b- before we get into the data again, let's talk about the reasons on both sides of the equation, why polls are used and why they aren't used. I think some of our arguments, or mine anyway, uh, first of all, from a search and rescue perspective, it's very dangerous to have polls. When you're carrying somebody, you have to put them somewhere and you can actually gouge somebody's eyeball out that's carrying with you. So we try to avoid that unless you can fold them up tightly into your pack. Um, Another reason is, you know, I, I just really think that it does help your balance. And I think, um, you know, relying on your legs for the majority of the work is, um, is just great. Um, any other comments on that? Any reasons why you would not use polls? Yeah, I, I think the thing that I kind of hang my hat on more than anything else is, you know, our upper, our, our legs are designed to bear weight and our, up, and our arms are designed to move. Um, they're not designed to be in contact with the ground. That's how we're how we evolved, right? So, um, I think my big thing is, um, and that's equal. I don't want to use my upper extremities for something they're not necessarily designed to do, which is to contact the ground on a regular basis. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the things that caught my attention. We can when we look and we talk about the data. I can go into some of the comments. You know, every, when I asked people if they use the polls, the last thing I said, well, if you use the polls or don't use the polls, why do you or don't you? And it was really interesting to see their responses. Yeah, let's talk about those. Because you have a list. <laughs> it's a heck of a list. I did. I, I, I didn't know if you guys could get all that. So I, I just cut and pasted and sent them all to you. And yeah, let's check it out. So, I, and I don't know if you remember, Stop, but when we met, uh, one of the things I came around to at the end of our, at the end of our talk, I said, you know, I think I'm going to start taking poles with me, not to walk with, but as a first aid device. Um, sure. Because I can see a value in having them in my pack all folded up. And if I need them, I use them. And so I got to tell you, since then, I've, I've hiked with poles. Have, have I ever taken them out and used them? Nope. Yeah. But, but I put them in my pack. And what was interesting to me is the majority of people – the most common reason for using poles is I want to use them on water crossings. Absolutely. And I think what percentage of my hiking in the whites involves a water crossing? How many how many of my total steps are water crossing steps? Well, here's another question. <laughs> how many sticks are near water crossings that you could use <laughs> right there? <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I actually, one of my thoughts was maybe we could start a concession about renting poles at water crossings in the whites. That might be, yeah. I think we'd get in trouble with the federal government. Well, that we, might could, we could also, right. we'll get in trouble with the leave no trace, but like just sort of like leave them there as a, uh, yeah, as a <laughs> take one, leave one. Use, yeah. I'm not advocating that. Don't come at me people, but I'm just saying like, maybe you could do that. So, I mean, that, that's the thing that one of the things that that's the thing, one of the things that caught my attention. The other one was, you know, it helps me takes the load off my legs coming downhill, and I and I thought, I mean, that's that's valid. We know that that's true. It unloads your knees a little bit, but every time you unload with your, as you just said, stop. Every time you unload with your arms, you're deloading your legs, and part of the process is is increasing tolerance in our legs and making them stronger, right? right. So, are we are we short circuiting that system by using poles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as a pole user, I do wonder. And again, I I haven't. I haven't tested this. I probably I'm more confident in testing it in the summer, just because I'm going with a lighter pack. But in the winter, for me, 
there's a lot of scenarios where I'm shortening those poles, especially when I'm going uphill. I'm less concerned downhill, mm-hmm. although it does help too. Because so uphill, I do like to lean into my poles, and I almost just sort of I I push down. I'm not like I'm not doing the the forward. I'm more like just pushing down with my palm on top of the the poles to pull myself up. And I think it is because probably my legs are weaker than they should be, and the poles help me when I otherwise would struggle. So I feel more comfortable doing longer distance and steeper distances because, and then maybe it's mental, maybe it's physical. I don't know. Um, but the same goes, especially when I'm, I'm in a heavier pack in the winter, I'm going down steep terrain. It's a momentum check for me is I'm using those poles as a momentum check and my quads are maybe not strong enough to, to, to hold myself back with the momentum sometimes in steep scenarios. Um, and also, like, sometimes I'll have a burst of running downhill, and I want to be able to stop more quickly, and I can use the poles as a as a device to do that. So it's not always just about offsetting the the fact that my legs aren't strong enough, but sometimes I'm just using them to, to sort of as brakes. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I think what Stop and I both agree on is that if, if the decision is I'm going to go hiking with poles or I'm not going to go hiking, go hiking with poles. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. But I, I guess what the comment part of the survey gave me was it made me stop to think a little bit about, you know, can I guess what I would encourage people to do is as much of a, as a pain in the ass as it is, is to think about if I'm hiking with poles, if I'm, you know, if I'm going uh, you know, if I'm on Franconia Ridge and I'm on a flat undulating uh, undulating route, can I take my poles, pack them up and put them away? And then when I start going down, take them out and start using them. So um, I, I think that if just looking at the comments thing, that's what caught my attention, right? Is mm-hmm. maybe it's a good idea to have the poles with you and use them when you need them, but also not use them when you don't need them. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm looking at some of these comments now. They do tend to to lean that direction. You know, I sometimes use them going downhill to provide some extra support for my ankles, which have been destroyed from basketball. So that's a good example. Yeah, of course. And, and again, I think when we look at the data, what we don't know is, you know, is the balance is the balance worse because of the poles or is do they use poles because they're balanced worse? And uh, that's that's a, that we don't we, again, another limitation of our fake research is uh, we don't know really cause and effect in this, but the the idea was to have a little fun and see what people thought. And I have to tell you, I did run into one of the respondents uh, at Reckless. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. And it was fun having a conversation oh, that's cool. uh, with Sam, a young woman named Sam about it. Huh. And uh, so, yeah, I did, I did the balance survey and I tend to use polls. And it's made me think about polls. And I think that's the whole idea, right? Just think about them a little bit. Yeah. So what what did we have here? So we had a total of 22 hikers that responded? We had a total of 22 hikers that responded, and I think um, the easiest way to look at it was we looked at it from, you know, we took out the middle categories and we found how many people said they never use poles, how many people say they always use poles, and as, as it worked out conveniently for us, it was four each. Good. Uh, and so <clears throat> um, with four each, what I did is, interestingly enough, everybody's balance with their eyes open was pretty darn good. 
Uh, there wasn't any real issues there. Yeah. Uh, the eyes closed. Uh, the rubber met the road a little bit. And if we looked at the four people, what I did is I took, you know, how many seconds they could stand with their eyes closed on their right leg, added that to how many seconds they could stand on their left leg. So we got a total number of seconds they could stand single-legged with their eyes closed sure. and, and compared it across um, eyes, uh, poll users and 100% poll users, never poll users. And we came up with that the people who never use polls, the average, again, average is a relative term when you have a sample size of four, but <laughs> the average, the average um, for that group was they could stand with their eyes closed for 80 seconds. So roughly 40 seconds on a leg. Yeah. And the average for the people who use polls always was 26 seconds. So huh. almost four to one difference that the people who use polls all the time had balance that wasn't as great. Very, very interesting. So, I mean, g given the small sample size, you, is that enough for you to say, oh, that's definitely worth looking at in a real, real drawn-up study? I, I, I think that small sample size is not enough for us to say anything. Okay. But but, uh, but, I, but it piques my curiosity, sure. right? I mean, I, I looked across, and I don't know if you guys looked at it, but I looked across and I looked at, um, you know, okay, were the people with the good balance, were they younger? No, not really. Yeah. Were they people who hiked a lot more? Uh, not really. Um, so Were they drinking beer I, at Reckless when they did the test? <laughs> probably. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Uh, so I, I think that, uh, you know, and again, for me, because, um, you know, I'm a, I'm as much of a clinician as I am an educator or even a researcher. So I, I'm, I'm lucky that I get just to kind of pursue the stuff that's interesting to me. And, you know, if this had come out wishy-washy, I would have said, man, you know, it's because the study's not that great. It's not a real study. It's kind of fake research. So I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah. But it, when it came out like this, I thought, huh, you know what? Wouldn't I was telling my wife at dinner tonight, wouldn't it be fun to find a way to do this for real and see if it pans out? Right, right. We'll fund you. <laughs> with all our donations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the balance thing, I guess it makes sense because I think about this, you know, when I'm trail running is the times where I'm not, when I'm not using poles and, you know, everybody who trail runs has this scenario where you're in your zone, you're maybe in a flat section and, you know, you're, you're cruising along, having a good time thinking about something else. Or you maybe you listen to a podcast or music. And then out of nowhere, just you, you have that twisted ankle that just comes out and you're like, oh, whoa, I got to check myself. I got to pay attention to my footing. I think the same theory holds when you're hiking and you slip and you sort of check yourself with a pole. If you're not using a pole, then your tolerance for those scenarios is you should be much more attuned to it. So in theory, your balance should be better because, you know, you're... You know, your your risk for falling is much higher because you don't have that secondary device to save yourself. So I guess it probably like holds that not having poles is going to force you to pay more attention to the steps that you're taking, and and over time that would result in better balance. Yeah, I mean, I I think it that the official word that we use all the time when we're training athletes who maybe have sprained an ankle, we talk about perturbation training. We want to perturb their balance, right? We want to challenge their balance, and 
um, again, I, I, I think that what comes back to for me is um, I never carried poles with me ever. I now carry them whenever I hike as a first aid device. And I think I would just encourage people to always have two poles with them, but uh, only use them when you need them. If you say, if you use them because you have, you want them crossing the river, then put them in your pack until you're crossing the river or or if you're going to use them because you help your knees downhill, well, then don't use them going uphill. Don't use them on the level. Try to try to mix it up a little bit. I think that, to me, is probably kind of the take-home of this. Yeah, and I usually will um, – I'll pack them the last mile or so. I get to a flattish section, and usually my arms are tired. But after 7, 8, 9, 10 miles, and my arms are tired of using the poles, and I will take the time and effort to, to stash them, and I do think that – now that I've got a new backpack, I just bought the um, Fast Pack. I think it's an Ultimate Fast Pack 20, and it actually has a pretty good setup for storing the poles. You can just attach them to the side strap, and then there's a little strap where you can stick the poles in the end, and they hold really well. That's another thing, I guess, if, is if you are going to stash your poles, you have to get a good pack that is conducive yeah. to letting that happen and, or either that or you just have to get really good at rigging up your backpack so that you can stash your poles quickly uh, but i'm going to try to do that more often now and there are other uses for poles i mean you can use them for a makeshift splint you can use them for shelter to prop up a tarp so i mean the utility of a, having at least even one pole is is good but uh you know keep the data in mind yeah, I'm, I'm actually talking to a buddy of mine who's a former student who's a orthotist prosthetist out in Saranac Lakes and does a bunch of hiking in the Adirondacks. And we're talking about, you know, is it a way to make an adaptive attachment to the pole so they can be a makeshift crutch so people can kind of assist themselves out a little bit? Sure. Uh, well, that's so I think you said, I think there's all sorts of options. And, I, and again, it was pr- prior to our discussions, I've never, never carried hiking poles in my life hiking and since our discussion last time now i do and i hope i never use them but uh, i'm gonna have them there Mm -hmm. yeah most poles these days can withstand the weight of um your body if you did have say a sprained ankle or something like that or couldn't bear weight Uh, even one pole but again if if you didn't have the pole you could find a, a stick that's sturdy enough and use it as a single crutch it'd be a long way out but at least you'll get out yeah, I've used one once, and it was a long way, a stick, and it was a long way out. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Well, thank you so much for putting the time and effort into this. Um, we will put the information that you've given us, the pie charts and the data that was submitted in the show notes for Friday. So, uh, again, Andy, thank you very much. Perfect. And uh, you're going to hang out with us here while we uh, yeah. find out why Mike is in a hot, sweaty closet? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to hang out in the hot soda closet with him by yourself. So no. I mean, my audio. Hopefully, I've heard that before. Like I, I when we started the podcast, I used to like read advice on how to make your audio better, and they said like the smaller the room, the better. So hopefully, my audio sounds good here. I can't tell. It. I mean, I to be know. honest with you, it sounds a little muffly, but I can never tell yeah. until I get your files. Well, whatever you you do with that audio stuff, you'll you'll fix it. But <laughs> slashers hiking topic of the week. 
Um, yeah, I'm just I'm down in Florida for my, my father-in-law. So my father-in-law lives um, lives in Vero Beach, and then my parents live in this place called the Villages. So we're just on a family vacation. My my daughter actually she goes to college in Worcester, so we just drove her down to Fort Lauderdale today to drop her off so she can fly back to Worcester. Um, but yeah, we come down to Florida a lot. So I mean, I think it's pretty likely that as I. I think originally the plan was when we were retired that we would likely come down here for like six months and then go back up north for six months and do that snowbird thing. But now with work and COVID being a different scenario where I can work remote from home, you know, I think that this timeline may accelerate a little bit. So I may be doing the the Florida for six months, up north for six months situation in the next few years when my youngest daughter graduates high school but the struggle i have about florida is that there's no i mean as much as people talk about the florida trail and all this stuff like there's stuff around vero beach where you know there's like a three mile loop that you can hike in and then there's like this i don't even know what you call it like a mangrove forest between where my father-in-law is here in vero and the inlet side of the ocean so I'll go in there and it's like, it's not really bushwhacking. There's all these like different like roads that like old pickup trucks can go through and stuff. And I don't even know what this, this place is like privately owned or it's, I don't even know what it is. It's like, there's all these for sale signs and I go in there and I'll like hike around or I'll go running, but there's no, it's just like trails and then there's dirt roads and there's all kinds of like um, turkey vultures and all this weird stuff. And it smells like... <laughs> It smells like a sewer in there, and it's. You don't, not hear, good. you don't hear banjo, banjo music, do you? Uh, well, that's it's got that vibe, but it's. It, I'm just, you know, I go. I mostly stay in the, like the actual hiking area. Like, there's another hiking preserve, like along the the ocean, but it is sketchy. Like, there's trails where you'll have like, and we talked about this with Cheswick. Like, there's trails around here that have a foot and a half of like dark water, and you don't know what you're stepping in. And it's just not fun. So I struggle with the idea of being down here for six months and yeah. being in the, the flatland. But I, there is something to be said about the beach. Like, I do like the beach, but yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, on, on any given day, the odds of nature killing you in New Hampshire is slim. Yes. <laughs> and down there, I think it's greater than slim. Well, that's what people said is that, like, how do you know if there's an alligator in the water and I think Cheswick said this. He's like, if there's water, there's alligators. So there you go. And yeah. that dude was just plowing through the water. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of road walking down here. It's not a great place for hiking. I mean, if you're from Florida and you're listening, like, sell us on. I asked this to Cheswick, and he. I understand the Florida Trail, and I've been on the Florida Trail a little bit. Um, I've, I've gone out there, but it's not. I just don't. Th- I just don't like not having the payoff of having views. So, Florida is tough. Well, we can't wait sh- till you're back. Yeah, get yeah, you out exactly. of that flat hell hole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what? The high points in Florida are the uh, the trash dumps of the landfills. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Really? Yeah, it's so sad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But anyway, that's oh, about well. all I got to say on Florida Stomp. All right, I guess we're moving on. You didn't bump in the Chez, huh? 
I didn't bump into Chesno. I think he's out west. But we've got some recent search and rescue news. So you want me to plow through these and you can you can comment? You guys can comment? Sure. Let's start off with the old backcountry snowboarder. This is cool. Or not cool, yeah, but it's, yeah, okay. it's, it's different. It's a different yeah, story. It's interesting. So this, uh, the new story came out on the 18th, but um, this was from Friday, April 15th. Uh, the fishing game officers were notified of an emergency distress beacon activated through a Garmin device on Friday, April 15th at 11.10 a.m. Uh, the report came in from the International Emergency Response Coordination Center of an injured backcountry snowboarder in the Great Gulf in a ski run known as the Turkey Shoot. So the snowboarder is a 31-year-old man from Pelham, New Hampshire. He was on a solo trip when he fell and tumbled, striking some rocks. He was lucky enough to be around somebody that witnessed it, um, another solo skier um, that's 32 years old from Beverly, Mass., who immediately skied down to where this gentleman had fallen. There was no cell phone coverage, so the the witness activated his emergency SOS switch on the Garmin device. So I'm assuming the Garmin device must have piped into this emergency response coordination center, and then um, that sent the message indicating that uh, the original um, snowboarder had fallen, so um, he had suffered serious injuries and wasn't unable to walk. So the first skier here that had had the device, uh, he happened upon him. He stuck around, and you know they're in a remote area, the Great Gulf. And, yeah, super remote. You know, because of the nature of the injury, yeah. The, the basically the call was made to have a, a National Guard helicopter come in so they flew in with a black hawk and so this the, the sos came in at eleven ten. black hawk arrived at uh 117 and they Quick. were able to hover the helicopter over the snowboarder and they made they lowered a medic directly onto the onto the slope and then they got him into a litter and hoisted him up right so from the time they arrived to the time they got him in the helicopter was about 25 minutes, and then they got the snowboarder to Dartmouth uh, Hitchcock in Lebanon. So not bad. I mean, a lot of lucky scenarios wow. for this dude. Yeah, no doubt. Very lucky. It was fast. And just that quick extraction. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Now, with the, the Garmin, so that, that Emergency Response Coordination Center, mm-hmm. that I'm assuming if you have a Garmin and you have the a subscription, then that, that's where it goes? Or, yeah, the inReach? I th- well, it sounds like the inReach. Like, yeah, yep. just the way that story reads. So there's that middleman that you have to contact. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, and I don't know, like, the turkey shoot... On the Great Gulf, I mean, wow! How do they imagine. how do they get how do they get to the Great Gulf skiing in the in the the summer? Do they go up Tuckerman and just hike up from from that direction, or in this in the winter? I, I I'm uh, as Stomp said on the uh, the podcast. I think the last podcast. I'm a I'm a West Side of Washington guy, so I'm, I'm not uh, that knowledgeable. But I think they hike in from. From the base of Great Gulf, or they'll 
I, I think they, they scan her come in from the bottom. Oh, I could be wrong. So they'll go. I mean, that's yeah, not a bad. I mean, sense. it's pretty gradual on the Great Gulf, but um, that's a long way in, though. I wonder yeah. where this this chute is. Is it something that could be accessible from Auto Road or the Osgood side? I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Is like yeah. if they came up Tuckerman and then they would have to go almost to the summit and then come around the other side. That yeah. would be the other way to get there. But um, I do know. I have, I've run up the auto road after Memorial Day, and I've seen people drive up, park near the Great Gulf, and actually ski in like end of May and early June down sections of the Great Gulf. But I don't know how they get there in the winter like this. But that's pretty impressive that they were, there was people out there, and the guy's lucky that there was a second skier out there. Absolutely. Yep. No doubt. And then the next one is another local rescue. So this happened on Friday, April 15th as well. So uh, fishing game officers were notified of an injured hiker on the Crawford Path between Pierce and Eisenhower around 445. Um, The hiker was a 49-year-old gentleman from Goffstown, New Hampshire. I've seen this name around. I think this guy's a pretty pretty frequent hiker so he had attempted to summit mount eisenhower when he slipped on wet rocks and injured his lower leg um unable to bear weight so he called 911 and they had about 30 volunteers from the various um volunteer search and rescue organizations um along with eight conservation officers is that uh, stomp is that pretty average average for eight conservation officers to show up or is that a, that a high number that's a pretty decent number um it's maybe a little above average for that area uh but that's mm-hmm. a great turnout for this i think yeah. initially they may have you know been really looking for more help when the first calls came out but then to have that many people come out under those conditions um, and conditions meaning it's you know still post hole terrain up above tree line, and when you're off the side of the litter, post holing every step, it's it's a brutal carry. And this person was apparently, you know, in the call between Pierce and Eisenhower, so that is a long way out. And according to the story, yeah. they got out around midnight. Um, it, hats off to all the teams, amazing work, you know. Heroic. Yeah, yeah. He was he was four miles up, so there's around thirty people that showed up and um I guess they got him set up with a splint, got him into the the litter. They do give him a shout out. So if you ever get re- if you ever need one of these rescues people, if you're listening, make sure that like if you talk to f- fishing game and you've got everything you need like they, they gave this guy a shout out they said he's an experienced hiker who was carrying enough gear and supplies in his pack to be able to spend the night on the ridge if necessary if if you get rescued and you have that stuff in your pack make sure you tell whoever it is that writes these things up tell them i was prepared so <laughs> yeah it's the uh responding co that writes up the uh, report yeah yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't do me wrong, whoever that is. But yeah, so 4.45, it doesn't say what time. Oh, yeah, no, it does say. So they were able to get them around midnight, so that's a long day. It sure is. And then the hiker went public and posted on Facebook and just said, uh, just had wonderful words to say for the teams and the response. And, um, you know, it was just a wonderful, you know, 
Good Friday slash Easter weekend occurrence. You know, it's like how amazing that all these people came out and helped me and just very gracious response by this individual. Yeah, yeah. And it just sounds like it's like we were just talking about, like every you can be feeling great out there and then all of a sudden you slip and, right. you know. Yeah. One wrong, one wrong move and you're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the next two stories, Mike, are animal related. And I just find it interesting because this time of the year is the time when the bears come out. And, you know, the, the, the bears around here are very timid, but there's always that chance that you could get in the way of, say, a cub and a mum and uh, get mm-hmm. yourself in trouble. And that's more or less sort of the, the basis of these two stories. If you want me to cover them or you, go for it. Okay, yeah, this is funny. So a hiker in Oregon realized that sh- she was wildly, un- wildly unprepared when confronted with the prospect of having to defend herself against a mother mountain lion after spotting a cub that screamed at her. So I feel like there's not any... I mean, maybe if you have a gun on you, you would be prepared but otherwise like anybody's going to be wildly unprepared so um shaylin stevenson um who posts her adventures on tiktok was exploring the bryce creek trailhead and the scenery of the creek when she heard a muffling scream and she looked up she saw the cub she was probably like oh it's a cub and then um she was in shock for like 10 minutes when she realized that like the mom was probably close by and knew i was there she wasn't prepared. She had no form of self-defense, so she grabbed a large rock since it was better than not having anything. Um, she then did what you're told never to do. She ran back to her car. Fortunately, the mother cougar did not give chase, and she's got some good footage on here that we'll include on the show notes here. Uh, but she never actually saw the mother mountain lion. She just saw the cub, Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, she's the article goes on Just to say assuming. that like, cougars are stealthy speech, species, rarely seen in the wild, and they're more likely to see you than you to see them. Yeah. And there's 6,000 mountain lions in, in Oregon. Oh, really? <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's pretty wow. intense. Yeah. And the lady, like her last thing, she's like, I got to buy some bear spray. But I don't know. I feel like a, oh. a mountain lion would be on you so quick that you wouldn't be, have time to... I guess if you're holding your beer spray in a holster, but. You know what we should do? We should post this on the Slasher Cat page and find out the answer. <laughs> See, there is a purpose for this damn page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. One, so, one purpose. But I, I do, when I, when I solo hike, though, like every once in a while, like I'll just get like a. Last year I saw a moose, so that was the first time I saw a moose out, out in the wild. I saw one on Hedgehog. I haven't seen a. I've seen bears like near the house in Maine and I've seen them crossing the street a bunch of times but I've never seen them out hiking and every once in a while like I get that vibe and I've heard I've heard noises when I was on Middle Carter one time I heard a bunch of crashing through the woods and it was definitely a bear and then I spotted the tracks right on the trail that were fresh but I didn't see it at the time but every once in a while I've gotten like that vibe that something's in the woods matter of fact when I was in the Belknaps last time I was sort of thinking to myself like okay I wonder if there's, you know, bears around, but I didn't see anything. But I get that, like, vibe sometimes. Um, but maybe it's just because you get inside your head when you're solo hiking. I, I don't know. Have, have you seen a lot of bears in the woods, Stomp? I have seen uh, one in the woods and multiple on the side of the road, just yeah. out in public, yeah. just hanging out, <laughs> looking for dumpsters and things. What about you, Andy? Have you ever had any encounters with bear? 
Uh, Same. I've seen one in the woods. And then in town in Bethlehem, we had a couple kind of cruising around for a lot, um, looking for an easy place to eat. I'm really happy you brought the story up, though, because my wife and I are going to Oregon this summer for a couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm going to be paying a little bit more attention than I would have otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Are you going near Portland? Uh, we're, we're flying into Portland. We're actually meeting our kids. Our kids live out, out. One lives in Southern California. The other lives in Denver. We're meeting them in Oregon to go to a track meet that's being held up there, and then we're going to do some hiking after that. So out of Portland, but we haven't really even gotten that far to figure out what we're going to do yet. So we'll do something. Get up yeah. the mountains and do something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like I give if anybody's listening from Oregon, they would laugh because it's like the tourist. It's like it's basically the equivalent of like saying go hike Franconia Ridge, but like Multnomah Falls and that whole area in the Columbia River Gorge uh, outside mm-hmm. of Portland, like just west of Portland, is like it's just absolutely gorgeous. And there's like a burnt forest out there that's just amazing. You know, it's all behind what's called Multnomah Falls, which is on the columbia river and it's it's just awesome out there awesome like huge trees and like waterfalls it's 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 amazing and uh, we'll have the time to check it out we're we're cruising around for a couple of weeks before our kids show up we rented a van and we're gonna just kind of hang around see what we can find out so we'll go there we'll let you know how it looks awesome awesome <laughs> um so the next story we have here is another mountain lion one this is in uh, Big Texas. Bend National Park in Texas. Yep. So um, some hikers recently had a once-in-a-lifetime encounter with a mountain lion as it tracked its prey, and they caught it on camera. So, yeah, I'll include this in the show notes. So they were on a hike on March 26th along the Pinnacle Trail, and there's a cougar they got on video that had been seen moving slowly on the path as a deer walked in the woods nearby. And they were able to capture this thing just going right after the deer. And but the point of the story is at the last paragraph, and this is why I brought it up. I'll just read it. According to the National Park Service, hikers who encounter a mountain lion should, rem- should remain calm, okay? Remain calm. Don't panic and avoid approaching or running from the animal. Hikers all should, should not bend over or crouch, officials said. If the cougar continues to move toward you, quote, do all you can to appear intimidating. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> it's like, while you're shitting your pants, try to be intimidating. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing with the bears. Like, what, what are you going to do? Oh, if you see a bear coming after you, you're, you're going to panic. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> do, do they ever talk about eye contact like i know like i've learned over the years like i used to get i still get when i I do trail running locally and there's a you know there's a bunch of like places where people they go because their dogs can be off leash or they think their dogs can be off leash because there's not a lot of people and you know i've been i've been running in the same areas of amesbury for years and i kind of know i've gotten jumped on and i've gotten bit like three or four times over the years but, like, I definitely changed my approach the last three or four years where I spent a lot of time watching, like, different YouTube videos about dog training because I, I want a dog, but my wife won't let me get a dog. So everybody who's listening to the show knows of the whole saga about that. But I've sort of learned over the years not to make eye contact with, with dogs. And even sometimes I'll have scenarios where the dogs are off leash and the owners clearly don't have any recall for the dogs. And the dogs will see me running and they'll come after me and as as nervous as, as nervous as I am 
about them jumping on me and biting me like nine, 99 out of 100 times what ends up happening is if I don't make eye contact with them and I just keep running the dogs may run they may approach me but they what I found is that they don't know what to do because they're not getting any sort of reaction from me so they usually just run back to their owner I wonder if a, if a mountain lion's the same way or if if it doesn't matter. We should get somebody on that really knows like, you know, animal behavior because it is fascinating. A fish and game guy. Get a fish and game guy on. Yeah. Or a woman. That would be fantastic. I, it's, let me see if I can do that. But I like your idea, Mike, with bears, like just <laughs> take out all your food and throw it at them. <laughs> well, yeah, the bears, Distract I always them. have that in the back of my mind. Like if, if you did have, I think of the video of the, the, the runner guy that like the bear just kept coming after them. Like, I think I would just throw my food and hope that they went after that food and then buy myself some time. But I don't know. Obviously, like, that's a dead bear after you've trained the thing. Like, okay, you're a human, and you've given them food. Like, that bear is going to get taken down, and it's going to be your fault for giving them food. I suppose. But yeah, I'm alive, so that's, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. Either that or always run with a slower person. Yeah, well, that's true, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's twisted. Yeah, exactly. Hey, now we're moving. We're moving off to Hawaii. We have three from Hawaii, which are really interesting, actually. Yeah, so let me let me kick these off. And I'm going to Hawaii next summer. We're going, so this will be good preparation for me. Yeah. Um, on what not to do. So hiker dies after plunging 250 feet off a trail. I always think of when I hear these stories that someone took a selfie and they just slipped. So visiting hiker died Wednesday after mm-hmm. falling about 250 feet off the side of a challenging trail in Oahu. Um, Olamana Trail. Olamana Trail. Yeah. So the trail is located in Monawila in Honolulu. And 11 a.m., this was a 30-year-old hiker that fell off the side of the trail near the, near the third peak. Rescue was found the hiker and airlifted him to a nearby landing zone, and he died at the scene. Apparently, this was a, a man. He was hiking with three companions, including a local resident, and a fire department spokesperson told um, Star Advertiser, I guess is the name of the place that opened, uh, that wrote the uh, the article. His name wasn't immediately released, but uh, they said it's incredibly dangerous once you get past this first peak, wherever they were hiking, and... Uh, where the gentleman fell is known to be very dangerous and they've had other fatalities in this area because it's steep terrain it's narrow and footing is bad so i don't see a photo here but they said that uh this, so they interviewed a guy that's part of the hawaiian trail and mountain club and he said that like this third peak section is totally exposed for near nearly the entirety entirety of the uphill route in other words if you fell two steps to your right or two steps to your left you could fall and you may be headed down 100 feet or further before you stopped. And they said at least five other people yeah. have reportedly died in falls along this popular trail between 2011 and 2019. And this is, again, called the Olamana Trail. Oh, it's a 4.4 mile out and back. Yeah. yeah. All trails has it as a hard, strenuous hike. And people are saying you should only do it with ropes. Amazing. Ooh. Oh boy! Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds pretty bad. You're gonna have to give us a report on that one, Mike, in person, and tell yeah, us what it's like. I'm gonna skip that. One. I'm I'm gonna pass <laughs> on that one when I get out there. So, oh man. Yeah, I'm just looking at it. It's like 1,500 feet of elevation gain. So, 
it's no joke whatsoever. But um, I don't know. I'll I'll do some research on it. Maybe I'll maybe I'll go out there. The picture looks pretty darn sweet. Yeah, yeah, it looks nice. But um, we'll see. All right. So the next one here. So these are all in Hawaii, Stomp. So we'll see. I know. Uh, Honolulu. These two stories here have uh, helicopters involved again. It's crazy. Yep. Yep. So April 16th. So Honolulu firefighters rescued a fatigued hiker on the Friendship Trail in Kona. You did this on purpose, Stomp. Kaneo. This afternoon, the woman who had been hiking alone became exhausted after hiking on the trail for two hours. Um, Honolulu Fire Department received a distress call just before two and rescue personnel who walked up the trail made contact with her around 2.30. She didn't report any injuries or medical issues. Um, Is this the one where she was hiking for two hours and then gassed out? Yeah. And And got a helicopter, right? They extracted her at 2.40. (laughs) Right. It's incredible. I don't know what Hawaii's thinking, but I don't know. It must have a very unique I don't know. search and rescue uh, structure there to fund all these helicopter rides for tired hikers. Well, I think that I think helicopters are like a big thing for tourists, so it could be that oh, they might have some true. extra helicopters like floating around. That's really interesting. All right. And then this last one is again from Hawaii. So fire crews helped a man in his 60s after he became ill well near the first pillbox. I don't know what that means. He was unable to get down the trail with the help of his hiking partners. Um, It's a military pillbox from uh, WW2. Okay. Okay, got it. So um, apparently they were able to um, identify this guy. They airlifted him off. He got to the Lani Kai Park landing zone and was evaluated. His hiking partners were walked off the trail by additional crew members. And that's about the extent of this one. So 60 years old, he got tired and got a helicopter ride. <laughs> so we have to get to the root of this. A lot of people getting tired in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, um, it's a, it's a pretty quick trigger for them to get a, a helicopter ride compared to New Hampshire. Yeah. Just being tired. Yeah. So anyway, so I think we got two in New Hampshire locally. I think that this is the beginning of what will likely be, I think May, you'll probably see anywhere from 10 to 20 rescues. And then June, July, August, September will be, Weekly. again, anywhere from 10 to 15 of these rescues a month will yeah. will show up, maybe even more. Yeah, I agree. So let's get ready. Exactly. Um, so Stomp, that's it for the show here. It's going to be a short one, but I think the only other thing I wanted to, I had in my notes was that we did get a couple of reviews on Apple. So if you want to leave a five-star review on Apple podcast, feel free to do so. Um, but we got two new reviews, one good and then one bad. Let's check them out. Do you have them with you? I don't. I don't. I think one of them basically just said that it was a great show and they loved it. And then the other one was, and I tell people this. So if you, Andy, if you ever want to start a podcast, my advice to you is to make like 10 or 15 episodes and then throw them away. And then <laughs> the, the 16th episode will, should be your first episode. Cause like they're, so I think that this guy started from the beginning and I think that a lot of those shows are garbage, but 
he's he basically said um, he was he mean to me, Star. <laughs> How could anybody be mean to you? He doesn't even know you're in a closet. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Who would put somebody in a closet? <laughs> I don't know. But the guy, so the guy said that I was like talking over you or something, which I don't know. I'm sorry, Stomp. I publicly apologize. Yeah. Hey, whatever. It might have been my pathetic internet connection back then too. So the old yeah. delay. <laughs> I forgive exactly. you anyway if it happened. <laughs> exactly. But um, so leave a five star review if you want. If not, then. Uh, if you don't want to leave a five-star review, don't leave any review. <laughs> right. <laughs> It'll shatter our egos. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. safe travels. Enjoy the rest of your vacation and uh, get out of that damn closet. You're going to pass out on us. And Andy. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate you guys, your patience, because it's it's been, it's crazy week. Oh, no worries. No worries at all. Yeah. Andy, thanks for putting the time Easy into enough. that uh, research and whatnot. And uh, it was really informative nonetheless with all the uh, the other discussions surrounding it. So thank you, and we'll see you up at Reckless at one of these times. Yeah, it'd be fun to see you guys there. As I said, everybody, first one's on me when you get there, so. Perfect. <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs> thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.